Hi everyone, I am so excited to share a very special episode of Recover You with you this week. I recorded this episode several months ago in my private Recover You Facebook group and really wanted to share it here. So today's episode is an interview with my friend and fellow colleague, Lisa Limehouse, and we have some real talk about betrayal and recovery. Lisa has a really diverse background from being the betrayer in her previous relationship when she was really young to being betrayed in her current marriage, as well as having dealt with spiritual warfare face-to-face, being a female minister in a world where that isn't always respected, and now she works as a sexual betrayal trauma recovery coach, helping other women navigate their healing journey. She has so many insights, and I just loved this conversation so much. She really dropped so many knowledge bombs, especially in the last 20 minutes, so make sure to listen all the way to the end. Please check out her podcast, Beauty Beyond Betrayal, and follow her on Instagram. Without further delay, I can't wait for you to meet my friend, Lisa. Welcome, everybody, to another Recovery interview. I'm super, super, super excited to have Lisa here today. We have just had so many good conversations together already, so I am really excited for her to share all of her wisdom with you. So I am Kylene Terhune, for those of you who know me and for those of you who don't. I'm a functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner and NLP coach, and now I work with women uh, helping them recover from sexual betrayal trauma when they discover that their husband is a porn or sex addict. So... Getting right into it here. I'm going to give Lisa a little um, intro, and then we're going to talk about her amazing work, her amazing journey, and um, just lots of really cool insights that she has. So Lisa Limehouse is the founder and CEO of Redeeming Love and International Ministries and Beauty Beyond Betrayal Coaching. She spent 15 years serving as an ordained minister and pastoral counselor, ministering to thousands in the U.S. and abroad. Her passion is for the lost, broken, traumatized soul in need of rescue. Lisa has now made it her life's mission to dive deep into the trenches to help women rise up from the dark, miry pit of betrayal trauma to become the bold, beautiful, confident woman they were created to be. Lisa helps her clients by focusing on healing the whole woman, mind, body, and spirit. This includes transforming the mind, trauma release from the body, and reconnecting to God. Her clients are able to believe in themselves once again, discover who they are after betrayal, and finally live a transformed life. I love all of that. <laughs> I'm on board. I think that's you amazing. You are so sweet. You are so sweet. I love you to death. <laughs> okay. So I'm really excited to introduce you people. Um, you have, a, and, we, and I don't think your bio mentioned your um, Beauty Beyond Betrayal podcast as well. Yes. And- so I'm the host and the founder of Beauty Beyond Betrayal podcast. We have been in existence now a little over a year. We are a top 5% global podcast. Amazing. uh, We are in 78 countries. Wow. Good for you. That's so exciting. So totally off topic and not one of the questions I had planned, but because I'm starting a podcast next month, I'm going to throw it in there. (laughs) What made you decide to, um, to start the podcast? Like what was your big goal or inspiration? I mean, did you have a goal to be like top 5% or were you like, I just want to get the information out here. We'll see what happens. You know, I, I, I'll tell you exactly how it happened. I, was in ministry for so long. I'm so used to being, you know, I was behind the pulpit for a long time teaching. And so the Lord had just told me it was just going to look very different when I got out later on. And one day I was like, okay, should I, should I get the message out on YouTube? Should I get it out? You know, Facebook lives again, what should I do? And I literally heard him say, nope, start a podcast. Wow. And I was like, ignore that. No, no, not at all. And I was like, Okay, so I started doing all the research and I 
you know, had some bumps in the road for a little while. And then um, just really, I hired a great podcast coach and I worked with her for three months on a 90 day immersive. And in that 90 days became a top 5% global podcaster. In 90 wow. That's and amazing. it has just, it, it has just blown up since then. And um, I'm really excited about it. I was so honored to have you as a guest on that and plug in for you there. If you haven't heard, go to Beauty Beyond Trail podcast and you can hear Miss Beautiful Kylie on there and her wonderful story. That was an amazing day. So yeah, that was really fun. That was really, really fun. I'm gonna have to message you on Instagram later and get that um, podcast coach. <laughs> Because we are, um, yeah, we are, we're planning on launching um, in, in a few weeks, I guess it is, at hopefully at the beginning of March. That's kind of our goal. So we're we're batching the episodes now, getting ready to do that. So we're excited. Well, any help you need, you know, I'm like in your back pocket. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> All right. So you have a professional background that is very diverse and unique and, and a lot of experiences dealing with trauma because of that. Can you share, just share some of your professional history? I know when, when you're introduced as a female ordained minister, I know some ears perk up. So you have a really, you have a really cool, diverse and interesting history. So yes, I am an ordained minister actually. And I was in the Southern Baptist church, no doubt. (laughs) When you told me that last, I was like, no, how did this even happen? I, I literally was, um, And I started out in youth ministry, spent about three years as a youth director, and uh, just really felt led to go and do mission work overseas. So I went to Romania for 25 days, and it was one of those trips where I was like, God, I really can't afford to do this, but if you want me to go, you're going to make a way. Somebody literally funded it for me anonymously, so I knew I was supposed to be there. And that's where I kind of started coming face-to-face with, like, traumatized people, people who really were dealing with all kinds of scopes of just just devastation in their life, Um, occultic devastation. So you dealt with people who were coming out of the occult and things like that. So that was my first introduction to reality in ministry and the trauma that it can actually bring. So when I came home, I knew that God was calling me to go and uh, to to really extend my education and become ordained. And when I went to the church, um, that was my first clergy trauma. Uh, I, was, I mean, I mean, no, you're a woman. I was, a woman. You? I was told you're a woman, you're Southern Baptist. You need to keep your mouth shut. You need to renounce that because that's of the devil. And if you don't, you're going to be excommunicated from the church. And you're like, wait, wait, wait. I've already dealt with the occult. I know what the devil is. I'm not it. Exactly. Right. So I was like, well, I guess I'm leaving, you know, and um, That's so hard. That's I so very, oh, it was. I was very blessed, though. My dad was a pastor and he was a Pentecostal pastor, which, you know, he was like, "Hun, we got you covered, you know. And so I went back to Bible college and became ordained and started out in ministry, but had a great, great mentor who was the director of the Southern Baptist Association <laughs> who put me out in churches preaching and teaching. That's amazing. That yes. did now. I did have a question that I didn't ask you the other day. Did he stay with the church even while he was helping you? He did. He took a lot of flack. I mean, sure. he took a lot of flack. However, you know, just some of the things that transpired through his being, 
you know, faithful and saying, no, she needs to be out there. She needs to do this. Just the people who were ministered to, who were set free, uh, people who were healed, it, you couldn't denounce that. You really couldn't. So um, he stood his ground and I'm glad he did. That's amazing. That's super cool. So I I spent many years, 15 years in ordained ministry, and I was teaching overseas and in the United States. Saw a lot of people healed, a lot of people set free from a lot of different things. Um, One of the last assignments, I call it an assignment, one of the last assignments that I did was I was the pastoral counselor for 18 months on a death row case in Charleston, South Carolina. And um, it was a nationwide case for a gentleman who had murdered a Clemson student back in 2007. And um, I came in to work with just the whole crew in him to help solve that crime, as well as six other crimes for women who had been raped um, by this gentleman. So it was it was a beautiful thing for me, for my own healing as well as for this gentleman and for many other women. And let me just explain why. At the age of 15, I was sexually assaulted by my boss at Burger King. And so while I wasn't completely raped, I was sexually assaulted, which left a huge trauma for me that I had never dealt with. And so while I was the pastoral counselor with this gentleman, he was working through, you know, how can anybody ever forgive me for what I've done? And we were talking it through one day and I said to him, I said, if you were able to sit across from one of these women, Mm -hmm. what would you say to them? And he started to just really say, you know, what I've done is inexcusable. I know you can't ever forgive me. I I want the death penalty as restitution. That's the only thing that I can do. Mm -hmm. And at the end of that, I looked at him and I said, I forgive you. Mm -hmm. And he was like, I don't understand. And I was able to share with him that I had been sexually assaulted. And I actually saw the man who had done this to me now basically asking me for forgiveness. Mm -hmm. And it brought healing to my soul. And it brought healing to his. And then through that, we were able to bring healing to a lot of women when we just, when he kind of confessed everything. So it it was a beautiful time. Yeah. So you have, you've experienced several traumas in your life and you've worked with a variety of trauma. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you also share really openly that when you were previously married, you were the betrayer in that marriage. So what, um, how do you think that impacted you and, and what kind of insights now working with the betrayed spouses does that, do you think that that gave you? So when I was 25, Um, I was in a marriage that had its ups and downs. Let me first off say that I don't care what kind of marriage you have. It doesn't give you the right to cheat. First and foremost, there's no reason for betrayal in the story. But for me at 25, I was very self-centered. I also didn't realize at the time that I was dealing with my own trauma issues. I had never dealt with the issue of being sexually assaulted when I was 15, never ever gone to counseling over any of that stuff. So I was dealing with low self-esteem, my own trauma wounds. And so having and, and not having some of the things in my marriage, when I finally had a gentleman pay some attention to me, stoke my ego and 
really feed this underlying need I didn't know that I had, I gravitated towards it. And I started entertaining thoughts that I should have ran from very, very quickly. And I entertained them quite well, jumped over to that affair and was involved with this gentleman for five years. I actually divorced my first husband and I actually married this gentleman. Through that, he ended up getting a 19-year-old girl pregnant and ended up betraying me. So not only was I a betrayer, but I ended up being betrayed. So I had another wound on top of that. Through all of this experience and then the experience of being a pastoral counselor and working with people that came from uh, traumas due to uh, being involved in the occult and things of that nature, I just really knew in my heart that God was calling me to something deeper. And I had backed out of ministry. My mom had got sick and I knew I needed to take care of family for a while. And so I knew that there was going to come a time when I would be back out in the trenches again, because that's just who I am. I just love helping people. My heart is to serve and just to help people get healed and set free. So I knew it would look very different. I had no clue that it would be in the line of betrayal work. But going through betrayal also made me realize that I needed huge healing from the traumas that I experienced in my life. But I also could come at it with my clients now from both perspectives, because I could not only speak to a woman as someone who's being betrayed and the wounds that you endure and the things that you need to be healed from, but I could also speak from the mind of a betrayer Mm -hmm. and what causes us to cross over into those things Mm -hmm. and the work we have to do to get out of that as well. Mm -hmm. So I kind of offer both. Yeah. And that's, it's a very unique perspective because then you were, you were betrayed twice ultimately. So um, were you already working with betrayal clients before your second or that happened afterwards? That happened afterwards. So my mom took ill in 2017. So I stepped out of full-time ministry And uh, she had multiple myeloma cancer. And so I knew that I was one of her caretakers. And my mom passed away. um, No, let me back up. I'm sorry. She passed away in 2017. She got sick in 2014. So she passed away in 2017. Six weeks to the day, I lost my dad very tragically, very traumatic death right in front of my eyes. Spent seven months in trauma therapy and EMDR treatment over that. And then fast forward a year um, and my husband had been in a two-year affair and and I found out that he was betraying me. And so while you were, while you were processing this other trauma, while I was processing all of this trauma, everything else, he betrayed me. And so once I really worked through my own trauma work from that, um, God just put it on my heart. It was time to get back out. It was time to now step into who I am, what I need to be doing, and just pour everything into the women that I serve. And that's what I do, and I love it. So you've talked about, when you were talking about the um, your experience as the betrayed partner, that you realize looking back on it that the behavior kind of stemmed from unhealed wounds and is that something that you bring into your work with your betrayal clients that hey like 
you know, addiction or, or betrayal. It's typically not a relational issue. It's more wounds within the person. Like, is that how you view it? Yes, there are. There are. I mean, I dealt with my own traumatic wounds. I dealt with severe low self-esteem and I didn't realize this until I put myself in counseling. Yeah. Oh yeah. Sure. (laughs) Literally. And I, I know that I had shared this with you when we had talked before that, you know, once I went through those traumas and then I found out that I had been betrayed the first time I hit rock bottom, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, I bottomed out and literally shut myself down and said, I will never feel this way over another person again. I will never cry another tear and didn't for five years trying to like, there were many times I would take myself to a movie. I would put myself in a sad situation because I I knew that I was stuck. Something wasn't right. And, And it literally felt like I was the best way I can describe it was that Rapunzel tower where I literally was bricked in Mm -hmm. and I couldn't get out Mm -hmm. and I couldn't feel, I couldn't process emotion at all. I was stuck. Yeah. So I put myself in therapy and I remember when my therapist said, you, we have got to get you healed from this. And when the tears began, I literally thought I was going to die. I thought, I'm not going to survive this because it's not going to stop. And I know that you deal with the same thing. Some of your clients are like, I don't want to go there because if I go there, I might not make it back out. Right? Yep. But in order for us to make it back out, we've got to go through. We really have to process and go through. So that's one of the same things that I do with my clients is I I take them by the hand and I help process them through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's such a hard thing to. I was laying on the massage bed this morning and thinking, um, and literally the thought came to me was um, almost never is the right decision or the right path or um, whatever word you want to put in there the right choice the easy one. Yeah. And when it comes to betrayal, that often means that we have to sit in the grief, the grief of the losses that this betrayal has given us, you know, the, the loss of the relationship we had, the loss of the reality we thought we had, the loss of the safety, um, you know, all of these different things that we were living one way, thinking one way, and now all of that's gone. The future, we have to grieve the future that we thought we were moving into and now we're not, right? right. And the idea of that, I remember feeling very similar in, in, in the beginning as well, where I remember sitting in the room as I was asking questions and getting just like these, at the time, shocking revelations, um, just feeling so overwhelmed with the information. And then looking at the, the two to five years ahead of us, when they say recovery is like two to five years and going, how in the world is that even like possible for me to go through? Yep. And also I'm really upset at you for, you know, this, I didn't do anything. And now I have to go through this, mm-hmm. you know, pile of mud for the next two to five years. Like there's so much to grieve. And, um, that's so, I love that you said that because, um, I, I listened to a video the other day, um, and it was a real short snippet of Jordan Peterson answering a question about infidelity. And the last little sentence that he said in the clip that I thought was so impactful, and I should share share the video with everybody, um, is essentially saying the first step 
of figuring out because the, the question had kind of been like, well, how do I, um, you know, figure out this relationship and keep going or whatever. He's like, but you have the, the first step is to open yourself up to the magnitude and the reality of the situation. Like if you're not willing to do that, which so many people, they want the tower, right? We, we don't want to feel the emotions. We don't want to grieve because it's, it hurts. Um, we don't, we don't want to feel the reality. We don't want to see it. If we, it's like the game when we're kids, right? Like if, if I close my eyes, you can't see me, but the reality is if you want to get to that other side, the first step is recognizing and accepting the magnitude of a situation. It's a big deal. It yeah. literally changed your entire life and blew up what you thought you had and what you thought was coming. It is no longer. Yeah. You know, I remember when it was April 3rd, 2020, when I had, all of the information come in and I found out what I, what I was thinking was true was actually true. And that my husband was in an affair. He was having a sexual affair, had been for two years. <clears throat> and I remember sitting at my dining room table and I had all of the information just flooding me. Mm-hmm. And I kid you not, I felt like a caged animal. It's like the room was closing in. It was getting very dark. And I felt like, the, I couldn't breathe. And, and I remember going, I've got to get out of here. If I don't get out of here, it's going to crush me. And I, I grabbed my computer, I grabbed my phone, and I literally got out of the house because I had to. Mm-hmm. And I, the one thing that I tell, and it's, it, I word it differently than he words it, but I always say to them, your first step of healing is acknowledgement. You've got to come face to face with this reality as hard as it is. If you don't look this square in the face for what it is, then you're not going to be able to recover from it. And that's one of the hardest things. One of the hardest things when we've been betrayed is to say the words, my husband has betrayed me. My husband has had a sexual affair, whatever it is. My husband's addicted to pornography. Those are the hardest words to get out of your mouth. As a woman who has given her heart and soul to someone that she trusted in every way, shape, or form. And now that trust has been violated at the deepest level. So it is it is not only wounding, it is actually a crushing that comes upon us. And that's why it's so traumatic. Yep. It's uh there's really, we've talked about this before, there's really no words to describe it. I mean, no, just yeah, it's, it's just so destructive. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about the difference between spiritual and physical because I love this conversation. And in the Christian world, everything is, well, the devil made him do it or the devil made me do it or blah, 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 right? And in the secular world, there's no spiritual, right? It's just the physical. And um, and I think the reality is there is a combination. And I was, I was kind of asking you about it the other day because I was like I struggle figuring out like what is that balance you know especially when you have men behaving this way and it is addictive it 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 does lend itself a little bit to that's the devil right like he's destroying marriage and all this kind of stuff so I thought your your perspective on this was really helpful um because I do feel like there is a, a balance that um we can't completely eliminate either and we can't really go super extreme which like a lot of churches will go super extreme and say um, you know, pray it away and then give you no resources, right? And then if you get outside of the church, you get a lot of resources, but then, you know, your spiritual life isn't really talked about. So what's your perspective with betrayal and 
and you've, I mean, you've dealt with like legit <laughs> spiritual warfare. So I have, yeah, I have actually dealt with it face to face for sure. Um, it's a balance of both hands. It really is. It's not, it's not one extreme or the other. And, you know, we kind of laughed about this the other day. My husband made the mistake <laughs> of trying to come to me and say, well, the devil was breathing down my back and it was all his fault. And he threw this ahead of me. And, and all I thought was, bud, you're dealing with the wrong woman here. <laughs> because he was. And, yeah. And that is the truth of the matter. But Let's put it in perspective here. So the reality is this. Let's talk about the spiritual side first, okay? Let's talk about that first. Satan hates marriage with every bit of his being. And it goes back to the Garden of Eden. Like the the marriage is supposed to be an outward picture of the institution of Christ in the church, that beautiful union. And so if he can in any way, shape, or form, destroy a marriage, then he's destroying the picture of what it looks like with Christ in the church. So that's his goal is to get in. But we also have to also understand that he can't make us do anything so far as a puppet on a string. Sorry for my dog barking. (laughs) Um, She must see the UPS truck. Um, We're not that puppet on a string, so to speak, right? So the truth of the matter is, can we be tempted by him? Sure. Can he put the little innuendos in our ears? Absolutely. Those things can happen. But we're the ones who entertain the thoughts. Right. So let me kind of break this down for you. I might, you know, my dad had given me a lot of different scenarios when he was a pastor. And he said, you know, you're going to see some of this in ministry. And I saw this played out so well when I was overseas one time ministering. And I had a gentleman that came for prayer one day and he came up to the pulpit and he came down and they call me Sister Lisa in Jamaica, right? So he said, Sister Lisa, I'm dealing with this nicotine demon and he just won't get off my back. He won't leave me alone. And I just, I need to get rid of him, Sister Lisa. Everybody's prayed for me and he won't leave me alone. Please pray. Well, he had a pack of cigarettes in his pocket. And I said, okay, well, let's pray it through and let's just see what happens. So we prayed about it and I said, God, please convict him and give him the ability to do what he needs to do. He walked away from the pulpit Guess what? With the cigarette still in his pocket. So guess who was down at the pulpit the next day saying that he wasn't delivered of the nicotine demon? Why? Because he was battling his flesh. The truth is, in Scripture, Paul speaks more about us battling our fleshly desires and fighting against those temptations far more than he speaks about the devil made me do it. I believe there's a both and, and I believe that Satan has brought trauma in ever since the Garden of Eden. And if you look at the very first traumatic event that ever is recorded, it's back in the Garden of Eden. You have Adam and Eve, perfect relationship with God. They're communing, walking with him, everything. But the devil came in and just put a thought into their mind. It was a thought that started it all caused them to doubt that God's goodness was better for them. Mm. What happened? 
they crossed over into their own desire. It was the lust of, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Those three, the devil still has the same tactics. Mm. No new tactic. That's so, that's something. That's such a great way of um, lining that up because when you when we talk about the subconscious, it it is the the um, thought that leads to a belief that leads to behaviors in life. So a lot of times when you're talking about addiction, people focus on the behaviors and the habits, but if you start at that end, it's not getting to the root of it. You actually have to go into like the belief and the, the original um, event or the original trauma that and the original emotion that happened. Um, because of that. And that's also, that's such a real, that's such a good example too um, of, yeah, he, he can influence us with thought. Right. Um, but then we get to choose what to do with it. I what? think now, I, I think thoughts are scary because um, I have had at times in my life, I've had bouts of intrusive thoughts. And before I understood them and before I understood what that meant, um, they really terrified me. They caused me a lot of distress, extreme anxiety, um, they really make you question yourself, right? And I think just even talking about these things out loud is important because then you realize, oh, oh, I can choose not to believe that. It's just a thought that comes into your head is not who you are. That's a thought that comes into your head is just a thought. Everybody has these weird intrusive thoughts. You can choose to believe it or not. And when you, it's actually the choosing to believe it that causes more distress because that, that actually is not true. You're choosing to believe a lie against yourself. And then- it, it's very distressing versus if you go, that's just not who I am. And then it goes away versus if you're distressed about it, it keeps looping, which is what happened to me until I learned this. And then I was like, oh my gosh, that's like so freeing. Yeah. And so like with addicts or with behavior like that, it's the same thing. It's like, no, just because that is put there, it doesn't mean that's who you are. You can actually say like in your mind or out loud, like that's not who I am. That's you can exactly. make a different choice. I think that's a huge distinction because yes, he can influence and I talk about this with addiction too. Like, yes, once the chemical cascade gets and you're in that loop, like it's a real thing. And at one point it was a choice. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> and I think that that's where, <clears throat> that's where we need to really help a lot of women with um, is that we do have a choice. Yeah. And when we step into the power of that choice, then our actions become different and the results change. And that's what's so key. But we have to remember at that thought process, we really, really need to look at that thought process. Because remember when I said, when I was the betrayer, I entertained those thoughts very, very well. And if I had not have entertained those thoughts, where would I have ended up? Because I, I let, me, let me just say this. I knew it was wrong. I knew what I was doing was wrong at my core, but I entertained the thoughts until they became such a strong core belief in my system that my actions followed. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think that, um, that, that is where like, it's the importance of self-identity, self-confidence, dealing with the traumas. Um, Cause it's like when you really, really know yourself, Th that becomes easier than to not entertain them versus when we are in a state of um, emotional distress, yeah. we're very susceptible to those things. Yeah. And I think that's across the board, right? Betrayer, betrayed spouse. Um, I think I interrupted you though, when you were um, talking about the, the trauma in the garden of Eden, because um, 
So they made, they, they, it was a thought that then turned into uh, a poor decision yes. that then led into what you were explaining as the first trauma. Yeah. So when they, when the thought process was there and they started entertaining that, that thought of, okay, did God really say, and then they chose to that action to cross over into their own desire mm-hmm. instead of putting what they knew to be best first, they crossed over into that. What happened? Their eyes were opened, the Bible says, and they saw that they were naked. They were ashamed. So shame crept in very quickly. Guilt came in. Condemnation came in, which is all traumatic because now they were separated from God. The beautiful, perfect life that they had was now completely devoid of what it used to be. Their future was not what they thought it was going to be. Now, think about that in lines of betrayal. It's the same story. It's the same traumatic story. Your future is disrupted. What you thought was is not. Your shame, all of a sudden shame is there, guilt is there, all of this thing. There's a body image issue going on. All the trauma that happened in the Garden of Eden, it all happens. Why? Because they were betrayed. Betrayal happened in the garden and it still happens today. It is an age old thing and it's just the same thing he uses all the time. Jesus was betrayed. He knows what it's like for us to go through that. And that's where I take a lot of comfort. That helped me tremendously in my healing journey. That I knew that he was betrayed. And he knew what I was feeling at the core. Yeah, I think that makes such a such a difference. And it's so um, it's so important when you look at the Bible, the the way it's written and the things that it uh, it includes, because there's so much that it doesn't. Right? We have so many questions that are left over, but it it so frequently paints these pictures of humanity that involve real emotions, sadness, anger. Mm-hmm embarrassment, shame, guilt, these pictures of real people that God loved and that God redeemed and these redemption stories. It's just, it's a really amazing, it's like you really included what we needed to know. Yeah. You know, and even though we still have questions. And I think what's so beautiful is the fact that Jesus himself yeah. showed us real emotion. Yes. Right? He had, he had the sadness, he had the grief, he had the loss, he had the happiness, the the you know, exuberant joy. And he had anger. Mm-hmm. So important, yeah. He had anger, but he sinned not. And so I know a lot of times when we are dealing with the process of trying to work through all the emotional upheaval due to the trauma of betrayal, you know, sometimes we fight against, well, you know, I, I feel so guilty because I feel so angry that I want them to hurt or I feel so guilty about this. No, no. That's when it's like you've got to go back and go, wait a minute. Even Jesus himself was angry. You're angry, righteously angry because of the injustice that has been done unto you. So it's OK to be angry. Let's just not cross over into the vengeance and the the stuff that's going to pour more trauma on you and self-traumatize yourself. Mm-hmm. So there's a difference there. And that's where I think, you know, really working through 
with our clients that way to help them process it on a healthy level is the way to go. Yeah. And I mean, even, you know, people, I think, feel almost like afraid, kind of what you were talking about earlier of, you know, how important it is to sit in the grief and sit in the emotion and identify like the magnitude of the situation and acknowledge the reality. Um, I do think a lot of Christian women have these ideas in their head about what what anger is a sin or um, like, I have to forgive, but there's been like no conversation about what happened, no reconciliation, like all these different like perspectives um, that are, I just, it's really damaging ultimately. Can I touch on that really quick? Oh, please, please, please. I'd love to, I'd love to. So, you know, I work, all of my clients, you know, are, are from the, the Christian realm. I mean, they'll come in. I mean, I might have some that aren't, but the majority of my clients are. And that is one of the biggest struggles that they face is, you know, I'm a Christian woman. And, you know, one of the very first things my pastor told me or somebody told me is I've got to automatically forgive and I've got to do this. And, I gotta, and I'm like, oh, my word. Matter of fact, I had a client today that I was working with on this. And she's like, I'm just devastated because I was told I shouldn't feel this way. And, you know, and I'm like, oh, I'm and I'm I'm constantly apologizing for being yeah. a pastor, you know. But the truth of the matter is this. I, I like to explain it this way. And, and God actually gave me this one day because I was like, God, I really need a visual to help women with this forgiveness issue because it's not a one and done and nor is it a quick, easy fix. Like I did not listen. I did not forgive my husband day one. Did it come out of my mouth because of devastation, desperation, crushing to look at him and say, if you just stop the affair, I'll forgive you. Yeah, those words came out of my mouth. They absolutely did. It was a, it was a knee-jerk reaction. But yeah. was I at a point of forgiveness? No, absolutely not. Let's just be real. We're human, right? We're human. So I like to equate forgiveness as something that I visually saw one day at a Chick-fil-A that was being built. And it was a huge pile, a mound, a mountain of concrete pieces that had been broken up, all different sizes. And I literally got out of my car and I walked over to it. And I really felt like the Lord had said to me, that is a picture of forgiveness. One piece at a time. Mm -hmm. And literally there are days where you go over to that mound and you can pick up just a small little pebble. And that's all that day. And what you might be forgiving that day is you drove by the hotel that you knew they were at and you said, you know, I need to forgive him for being at that hotel. But then next week you drive by that same hotel and then there's a bigger rock of concrete you have to remove off of that you get to because you feel like, well, he used our finances to be at that hotel. Well, today I'm going to forgive the financial aspect of that hotel Mm -hmm. it is a process Mm -hmm. it is not a one and done and it is not something that is automatic yes forgiveness is let me say what it is and what it isn't forgiveness is not saying what he did was okay it is not saying that the addiction the betrayal the sexual affair that you're saying well 
you know, I'm okay with that. That's not what forgiveness is. What forgiveness is, is it saying, you can never repay me for what you did. You can't ever repay that. You can't ever fix that because it's broken, it's done, that's gone, that's dead. But I'm releasing it because you can't pay the debt back. And I don't want to be in bondage to the trauma anymore. So I'm going to start to work through it little by little so that I can get healed and whole. Yeah, definitely. I think it's definitely not a one and done. It is a progressive thing as you go through your own healing. Um, I'll share, I'll share a perspective on it too. You can tell me if you agree or disagree. I, I view forgiveness as there's kind of two types when it comes to you and God and you and the human being. And so when, when I think about you and the human being, you're never required to extend forgiveness to someone who isn't actively trying to reconcile or who hasn't asked for forgiveness. Absolutely. And then the other piece is um, that the piece between you and God is really that healing piece of exactly what you just said, which is, you know, I, I don't want this thing to uh, rule my life. I don't want this to be sort of become a new identity. And so I'm releasing the power essentially that it holds over me in whatever way that shows up. And that is something that as you go through your own healing and um, God begins to slowly kind of piece your heart back together and strengthen you and recover you and restore you, that you're able to release that. It doesn't equal no consequences for the behavior. And it doesn't equal no accountability. And it doesn't even mean that you trust that person. Um, and hit the nail on the head. You've hit the nail on the head. And I will say this. If you look, you described everything that happens also in scripture. There is a consequence to, to, the, to the things that we do that we should not do. You have a consequence that happens. You know, we, we, we might do something and say, oh, God, you know, protect me from this. And, and, and we want to be protected from the consequences. But there are consequences to the things that we do. Yeah. Right. And we have to move through those. We have to accept them. So, yes, there are consequences to the actions that he took. And there should be. Also, it doesn't mean we trust. And it also means that when it comes to boundaries, if they are not respecting our boundaries, we have every right to turn away and say, then you don't have access to me. Right. If they're only going, if if we have our boundaries set at a 10 and they're only going to be at a three, then you don't get access to me. If you don't give me a 10, then no. Mm -hmm. So absolutely. Big announcement to all Christian women everywhere. <laughs> if your husbands are not respecting your boundaries, you can say you don't have access to me. That's exactly right. That's huge, 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 huge. I heard um, uh, the phrase recently that um, your yes doesn't mean anything unless your no is respected. Yes, I love that. I'm going to have to write that down. <laughs> that is yeah. beautiful. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, I, I think what you just said when you did the shout out is so true because that's where Christian women struggle because they're told stay in the marriage at all cost, Right. Yeah. But that's, I, I will say, I say this to every woman, God does not call you to be somebody's doormat. You're his daughter. Mm -hmm. You're not somebody's doormat. Yeah. And he didn't look at women that way. 
He, oh, oh my gosh. No, the Bible is like uh, the most empowering thing yes. for women in that culture. Yes. Like when people it read it in a way yes. that is disempowering to women, it blows my mind. I'm he like, how did you get that? Yes. He held women at such a high regard. And so he never, ever, ever would expect a woman to stay into a situation where she is being disrespected in that regard. So when it comes to it, that's why it was very, very easy for me when, when I set my boundaries and I said, if you do not stop the affair, I am physically leaving the home. When I found out he had gone back to her again, I physically left my home. Did I take flack over it from some people in church? Yes, I did. But you know, Lisa, I mean, tell me, tell me if I'm wrong here, but was that a huge motivator to him too? Like, I mean, I know you set that boundary for your own safety, but it probably played a huge role in his recovery too. Well, I will tell you that he, he was pretty, he was, he, he was, um, he had to go to the school of hard knocks. <laughs> everybody's <laughs> path is different. Right, everybody's path is different. So for him, um, I moved out. And I did not let him know where I moved. He had no idea where I moved to. And he did not have any contact from me for three months. So he, yes, he blew up my phone. I would never answer. So he did, he couldn't find me for three months. So in that three month period, someone got a message to me that he had put himself in counseling. So I reached out to him to see if it was true. So I had contacted him. So he said it was true. However, for the next year of physical separation, he yo-yoed back and forth between me and her wow. until I filed for divorce. Mm. Now, that's another one for the Christian women out there. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I actually went and I filed for divorce because... And can we just clarify from a spiritual perspective that you did not need to wait that long? No, I did not. Yeah. I had every right... From day one, I had every right from day one. Yeah. So I went, I filed for divorce and um, my, my divorce attorney told me to reach out to him to let him know that he would be served. And I called him to let him know that he was going to be served. And there was silence on the phone. Mm -hmm. And he said, why have you done this? And I said, did you actually think that I was going to allow you to continue to traumatize me the way you are doing? I may love you, but it will be from afar. And at that point, he said, please wait 30 days. Just give me 30 days. You will see a changed man. Please, please. Did I believe him? No. Sure. After that point. Yeah, that's a long right. time. And, but I, but I did, I, I, I really stepped back and I waited a week and then I called my attorney and I said, Let's hold off for about 30 days. Mm -hmm. And he threw himself into counseling. At a counseling session, he actually asked the counselor in front of me if he could call the affair partner and end it with me in the room, with all of us in the room. Like he took extraordinary strides at that point. Mm -hmm. And has since then. I mean, I, you know, we still go to counseling every other week. He is in counseling for himself, still working through 
his own recovery. That, that was one of the non-negotiables that I had. Um, but he went to extraordinary strides. But it took actually filing for divorce for him to actually wake up. That's a good point because I think um, everyone's rock bottom is different. But, but often that is the point at which the behavior change. So whatever in their life, mm-hmm. in their worldview, in their perspective is sort of the, oh, this is the consequence. Yeah. And I do think that's an important conversation to have because when you are setting boundaries, like that plays into that. That is important. Yes, they're for you. But consequences are important because, um, you know, at some point it does motivate the change. Now, whether or not that means that you end up staying together or not, it doesn't matter. Um, You know, you actually leaving may have been the rock bottom for somebody, you know. Um, But whatever that is in their life that that, um, hits that point is typically when that change really, they're, they're motivated to make that change. And I, I, I refer to it as the infidelity bubble. You know, that has to burst mm-hmm. because as a betrayer, you're inside of what I call an infidelity bubble. It's a, it's an altered universe where there's the dopamine high. You are literally it's like a drug induced state of a high that it gives yeah. you. Right. Yeah. And so while you're in that, you don't think clearly, you don't act clearly. Your world is not real, so to speak, you live two different separate lives. And um, until that altered world bursts, then reality can't hit. And for P- it, it's different for everybody. That bursting of that bubble comes at different levels for everyone. Yeah. Now, sometimes does it even come at all? Sometimes it doesn't, unfortunately. And sometimes it's a repeat pattern through relationship after relationship after relationship, right? And those are the times where, you know, if you're in that relationship and you don't see that change happening, you have to, for your own safety, for yourself, keep your boundaries intact, adhere to the consequences as hard as that is. And to do what is right for you, you are going to heal irregardless of his decision. As long as you are moving through your own healing journey and choose yourself. That is such an important message that, again, we're going to just go back to the spiritual every single time. The idea of choosing yourself for so many Christian women sounds selfish. And it's like, no, it's good for you. It's good for them. Ultimately, it's the only way that you can move through and recover. You have to choose your own healing. And if you're able, it, it's, that can be hard. Like you were just saying, that's, that is not easy to set boundaries and to hold the consequences when, they're, when your boundaries are disrespected. That can be an incredibly painful thing for you to do. It, it can. But let's, let me give you a good, for instance, of a woman in Scripture who chose herself. And that was the woman with the issue of blood. Yes. 12 years. Like she was agonizing. She had spent all of her money. She was an outcast of society. Everywhere she would have went, she would have had to scream the words unclean to let everybody know that she was coming through. She would have been ostracized from society, right? Talk about complete isolation. And trauma, yeah. And trauma. However, when she heard that Messiah was coming through town and that the healer, the one that could 
actually bring healing to her body was going to be where she was. At all costs, she chose to disregard isolation, to disregard trauma, to disregard being, um, you know, yelled at and screamed at. She chose to press through the crowds just to touch the Hime's garment. She chose herself. And what happened? He stopped and said, who touched me? The power has gone out of me. And he turned and he called her daughter. And said that her faith had healed her. She stepped into her healing journey for herself. Jesus met her there and her whole life was transformed. Some woman just needed to hear that because that's what's waiting for you right now. Yes, some woman needs to hear that. Yes, thank you for saying that. I'm so glad that you told that whole story and made that analogy because that's such a good, that's such a good comparison. And I think you know, recognizing that that is in scripture is like super, super helpful. So thank you. Uh, do you have a couple more minutes? I have another, another oh, question. Yes, I'm good. All right. So, um, we briefly mentioned abuse, the term abuse, um, when we were chatting earlier and, um, I think terminology is really important. And I talk about that, this in some of my, um, you know, PDFs that people can download and things that terminology is really important. And, you know, when I discovered the term, betrayal trauma. I was like, oh my gosh, like that, that puts words to why I'm feeling so deeply. It's a betrayal, it's trauma. And then understanding that, you know, so many women get PTSD, like symptoms from this. I'm like, oh, okay. Like, (laughs) all right, so this is validated. Right. And then learning that, you know, what your husband did is abusive, whether it's sexual abuse or financial abuse or whatever. And it's like, okay, well, he never raped me. Well, he never hit me. And so people have a really, really hard time sometimes acknowledging that word and saying that what he did, whether he intended it or not, is abusive to you and to the marriage. So can you talk maybe a little bit about that? Yeah, that is one of the hardest things I think we as women have to come to grips with is that, you know, the man that we love so much and that we trusted with everything is actually abusive to us because in society, we're told that abuse is just this physical beating, right? But that's farthest from the truth. So let's look at the different abuses that we suffer when we've been betrayed. So number one, we suffer, and I'm, I'm going to kind of go different ways here. Number one, we suffer an abuse emotionally because emotionally we've been abused in the sense of our world as we knew it has been completely blown apart. While they know the reality of both worlds. So how is that not abusive? Because they're intentionally keeping you in the dark. Absolutely. So they may say, well, I didn't tell you because I didn't want to hurt you. Let me tell you what they're actually saying. They're actually saying, "Um, I knew I was hurting you. Yes, that's exactly right. So if they know that they're hurting you, then they know they're abusing. That is abuse. If they are willingly withholding something from you that they know is going to hurt you, wound you, that is abuse. So that rocks your world mentally and emotionally and causes a complete upheaval in your emotional structure, your nervous system. It dysregulates you from inside out, right? So you've been emotionally abused, number one. Number two, let's talk about 
the physical abuse that you receive or what is called sexual abuse. Now, some women are going to probably say, but he didn't rape me. Well, I want to real, this is a very touchy subject, but you've got to hear really truth. Remember, if you don't acknowledge it and face it, then you can't heal from it, right? So the truth of the matter is, if he was having a physical affair with another woman and sleeping with another woman, he has made you susceptible to STDs, any kind of form of sexually transmitted disease. He has put you physically at risk. You've been sexually abused. Again, he hit it. He knew that it would hurt you. He knew that he had to keep it from you. That is abuse. And it's physical abuse because it has physically affected your body. So it's physical abuse. Absolutely. And and I think it's even sexual abuse when it's um, when it's virtual or, or whatever, because you essentially what has happened is he has taken consent away from you because you're not fully informed. You are not consenting with all of the information to give your body to this person. And and that is so wrong on so many levels. In fact, you're only consenting because you believe something that you agreed to that is not true. And he knows that. That's so abusive to use your body in that way when you don't know how he is using his body in other sexual ways. And I think to even take that to a deeper level on that respect is the fact that because of what he's doing to his own body affects his body in such a way that it also can affect your sexual life as a couple. Absolutely. That's why it's abusive as well. Mm-hmm. So it affects you, whether it's pornography or whether it's an in-person affair. Yeah. It's sexual abuse across the board. Mm-hmm. Then there's financial abuse because your finances are involved. You didn't know that your finances were being used for, you know, apps that are being used or websites or chat rooms or hotel rooms or trips or what have you. Right. So it's financial abuse that you're now dealing with. Then there's the relational abuse that you're dealing with because your relationship has now been severed. What once was you were one, you had great communication, you had all this stuff at one point in time, all of that has been thrown away. So you've suffered relationally. So when you boil it down, you suffer abuse from betrayal, mentally, emotionally, sexually, physically, financially, relationally, you're upheaved in your home, abuse is abuse. Mm -hmm. And you have to face that fact because until you do, you're not going to be able to fully understand the trauma that is affecting your mind, that is affecting your body, that even affects your spirit. And you can't be healed completely if you don't understand that you've been abused so that you can heal from the abuse. Yeah. It's that acknowledgement piece of facing the truth. And I want to add one more on there um, because a lot of times this happens because so many of the women that we work with are Christians, um, spiritual abuse. And so you have these, you have these spouses that will use the Bible to manipulate you or your church or your pastors or your biblical counselors will use to manipulate you 
um, into praying it away or jumping into forgiveness, like we talked about earlier, and just completely spiritually bypassing the trauma completely and um, not actually offering any healing. In fact, actually further wounding you and traumatizing you. So anytime someone um, from a Christian perspective um, invalidates the experience and tries to have you jump over your emotions and, um, and, or, and, or use any sort of Bible verses to pound you over the head to be a better wife when your husband is being a total jerk. <laughs> run far away, run far, far away. Give them more sex or, you know, you need more communication or you need to be praying together or you need to be doing this and the other. And, and, you know, when you, and I, I kind of want to bring it into another perspective with you that a lot of, a lot of people might not look at it this way, but when you have clergy that is starting to tell the wife, you know, you need to stay, you need to do this, you need to put forth this, perform better this way or that way, and putting that kind of spiritual abuse on you, you're also putting her into the spiritual head of the house by making it her responsibility. Oh, snap. That's a whole other conversation that we need to have. <laughs> you know, that's so interesting. That is a wrong way to go. Oh, my gosh. That's so funny. It's spiritual head of the house because that's, ooh, I've never thought about it from that perspective. But if you want to fight their, if you want to fight their war, that's like the terminology you could use. Because, um, you know, it's so interesting because I, I think about that head of house thing so differently than probably a lot of Christians because I just view it as such an equal partnership. And, and it should be. Yeah. It should be, yeah. So um, so it's really interesting because, you know, in uh, in, in Patrick's uh, group work and stuff like that, there's a guy that talks about the wife. When you do this and she discovers it, she has to pick up the sword. She is now the defender of the household. She is now the one that is protecting everybody. She is now the one that is putting the pieces together. And, um, and that happened with us. It was like, you are in this place of sin and you are in this place of destruction and you are in this place of need and of healing and, and brokenness. And so like, I'm the one that had to like figure it out. I'm, you know, and, um, it's just such an interesting perspective because when you go into these more spiritually abusive theologies, then, um, that's not the message you get, you know, it's that, um, it's that uh, you need to like continue submitting to this guy that is actively li- living in sin and not doing anything to fix it. Yeah. It's like, that makes no sense. That makes no, no. sense. No. So that is a very interesting way to put that if you're using that theology and that line to kind of call them on that. Yep. Because in reality, you know, it, it, it was always supposed to be, scripture says that the two are now one. So you're supposed to have each other's backs, right? You're supposed to be right there side by side. You know, he took Eve and created her from the rib of Adam for a purpose, side by side, right? So we she helps him breathe. No, (laughs) true. Can't function without her balance, right? She levels them out. Exactly. But if you think about it, it's when when you start putting that responsibility on a woman who's been traumatized, you're telling her to bypass her own healing and to wield the sword to protect him. Wait a minute. What? To protect him. Yeah. That's so wrong. It's like, and and you're telling her to take personal responsibility for his sin. Like since when in any of the scripture, did it ever place blame for someone sitting on someone else? Literally never. 
or in the history of mankind. <laughs> like it just, it just, that, that way of thinking makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. It's like, okay, he needs to take personal responsibility for his behavior. Obviously this has hurt you greatly. Let's help you recover yeah. from that. Yeah. yeah. Um, Lisa, you are absolutely a joy and a pleasure to get to know and to talk to. And you've shared so many nuggets in here that I wasn't even expecting. So thank you. I love it. Um, how can people connect with you and where can they find you, um, in the future? So of course, beauty beyond the trail podcast. Definitely. I am on every podcast platform out there. Um, so you can listen to me, iTunes, Spotify, Google, Alexa, wherever. Um, so you can connect with me that way. I'm also on Instagram, Lisa J. Limehouse. You can follow me there. Um, but definitely you can connect with me through all avenues through the podcast, Beauty Beyond the Trail. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here and sharing your story and your experience with everyone. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It's been such a privilege. Thank you so much for listening. If you found this podcast interesting or helpful, it would mean so much if you leave a five-star review or post a screenshot and share on social media. We are on a mission to share the message of recovery and you can help get the word out. If you know a friend who could use this podcast, please share it.